invite you now, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the book of Jonah. We looked last week at the first few verses of Jonah. This evening we're going to look at the rest of the first chapter up through verse 16. We're leaving verse 17 to go with chapter 2. We'll be focusing on verses 3 through 16, but I'd like to just read this whole section. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is sufficient. The word of the Lord is inerrant. And the word of the Lord is authoritative. Jonah, chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. 
this evening. Dear Lord, we pray that you would use this, your word, even this very familiar story of Jonah, to reach us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, that we might follow after you, O Lord. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we started last week looking at this very familiar story of Jonah, his mission, and the great fish. It's a story we said that virtually every school child knows from Sunday school days. It is a story that fascinates us, a miraculous story. It is a story in which, you remember, we are tempted to focus upon Jonah and the events that surround him. But you'll remember we also said that the focus of Jonah really is on the God of Jonah. How he acts, what he wills, and how he brings about his will. We see that very much this evening as we look at the text of chapter 1. We see that Jonah, as we open up this chapter, begins fleeing from a mission that God has prepared for him. God announces a mission to Nineveh. And Jonah, unlike many missionaries that we know, does not go out and start to raise support, book tickets, plan what he will do. He finds the opposite direction and takes off as quick as he can, thinking that he will be free from this mission that he doesn't like. But God does not let Jonah off that easy. And I think there's something here also for us to see that God does not let us off easily. He will not allow us to remain in, his, in our sin if we are truly the children of God. So what I would like us to see this evening is a contrast in Jonah and the Lord. First, we will look at Jonah's abandonment, how Jonah has abandoned the mission. Then we will look at the Lord's pursuit of Jonah. And then finally, we will see the mission that is necessary, the necessary mission. Well, let's begin then by looking at Jonah's abandonment. We looked a little bit at this last week. Jonah hears the word of the Lord as clear as you can. It's a very simple, direct, and clear command. Get up, go to Nineveh, and speak against them, because they are doing evil. And we also know that Jonah immediately gets up upon hearing this from the Lord. The only problem is he goes in the opposite direction, because he knows that the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's seen it firsthand in Israel. And Jonah does not believe that the Ninevites are worthy of mercy, that they are worthy of grace. Now, as we stand here, we can look at this and see the great foolishness of this, because no one is worthy of mercy. No one is worthy of grace. That is the point of God's grace. But this is Jonah's frame of mind. And he begins then to act on his own plan. And I want you to imagine yourself, perhaps not as Jonah, but perhaps as someone observing him, and see what he does. 
He gets up. He's supposed to go to, go to Nineveh. And he goes, instead of north, toward, north and west, east toward Nineveh, he goes south to Joppa. And he just happens to find a ship. It just happens to be ready to go. And it just happens to be going the farthest place that you can get from Nineveh. As far west as you can get. Imagine what Jonah might be tempted to say to himself. Well, this must be God's will. If God really wanted me to go to Nineveh, would all of these things have worked out as perfectly as they have? This must be God's providence. Things happen for a reason, don't they? Now, we know the end of this story, but now take yourself from being an observer of Jonah to being like Jonah. Have you ever been tempted to pursue sin and you wonder why things just came so easily? You were tempted to lie to someone, but you were afraid that they would see through it and you'd get the third degree and it would be difficult and you just tell that first lie and they buy it and walk away. Well, that was easy. I guess maybe God was okay with me doing that. Or perhaps you are tempted to treat someone harshly and you expect difficulty from your spouse or your friends and you don't experience it and you think, well, if Really, this was so bad. If God thought it was so wrong, he would make my life difficult, wouldn't he? But you see, the story of Jonah is, it is easy to see what we hope for, what we want in our flesh. And it's easy to misread providence. All of this comes incredibly easy to Jonah. But you see, there's one thing that's missing here in all of the beginning part. Jonah gets up, he finds a ship, he pays the passage, he gets on, he even goes down into the bottom of the ship and goes to sleep. He's all busy in all activity, but the one thing that he never does is seek the Lord. He never stops for a moment to pray. You see, things can be easy for a reason. It can be easy because sin is often easy for us. At least it appears to be so. When you are tempted to do something that you know isn't God's will, that you know is not right from His Word, that you know is sin, and yet your path is made smooth, you ought not to think that God is somehow giving you a special dispensation to sin. You ought to think that Satan is at work in your life. Smoothing the rough edges, making it easier so that you don't think twice about things. That you don't care. You see, very often the bumps in life are God's way of grabbing our attention. Sin often appears easy, but that doesn't mean that it is smart. Sin is actually quite foolish. And we can see that too from Jonah's abandonment. Now think about what happens to Jonah. He doesn't want to take this trip because he doesn't want to go and be with pagans and see God forgive them. He doesn't want to have the hardship and the difficulty of going all the way to Nineveh and dealing with these Ninevites. So he comes up with a much better solution. Instead, he goes and he finds a ship that's full of pagans. And he pays 
an exorbitant amount of money to take a very long journey. The journey to Tarshish could be as long as a year. So for some way, Jonah actually thinks that he has come up with a better solution, and even on its surface, it is much more foolish than what God has given to him. But there's also a foolishness even in the expectation of what he has done. There's a danger, a foolish danger in sin. Jonah has come to a point where he thinks he can escape God, be away from God. That as he leaves and flees, God will simply forget about him. Find someone else, leave him off to his own devices. But that's foolish. Jonah knows that God is the God who made the seas and the land. He is the God of everyone and all places. Jonah would have known, would have perhaps memorized Psalm 139, which says that God sees us everywhere we are. We can go to the heavens, we can go into the earth, we can go east or west, but God is always seeing us. There's another thing that's very practical for us to think about the foolishness that sin will drive us to. Jonah's concerned about the danger of going to Nineveh and preaching at Nineveh. And so as a result, he would rather trust himself to a boat than God. Now, you need to get the full picture of this. Probably the single thing that the people of Israel hated more than anything else in the world was the sea. There's a reason why even today there really isn't much of an Israeli navy. The Israelites were not a seafaring nation. There were other nations in the area. The Philistines were a seafaring nation. There were others around them that had navies and boats, but the Israelites never did. I mean, do you ever read in the Bible of naval battles? or even of people sailing somewhere. As a matter of fact, most of the time we hear about a boat in the Bible, it's because there's a shipwreck, or a storm, like Jonah, or like Paul in, in the end of Acts. This is the, one of the most dangerous things you could possibly do. It's like saying, I'm afraid of what God has called me to do, so I think I'll go and jump off a building. It just doesn't make any sense. But you see, sin can drive us to these types of thoughts. This is a great temptation for you and for me that as we desire more and more to leave the accountability that is before us, before the Lord, His Word, and others, that we make decisions that are foolish in the extreme. We may not get on a boat, but I can give you a very practical example that happens to hundreds and thousands of Christians. They go through a difficult time, perhaps in their marriage, perhaps with their children, perhaps they're struggling with the faith, perhaps they're struggling with illness, and they decide that the best way to deal with this is to abandon church, to abandon the means of grace, to abandon the prayers of the faithful, to abandon the encouragement of others. It's foolish. It's self-centered. You see, the very last thing that we want to do is to be running away from God and His provision for us. But praise be to the Lord that the book of Jonah doesn't end after chapter 1, does it? 
It doesn't end after this first paragraph when we see Jonah running away because we see even as Jonah abandons the mission, the Lord pursues Jonah and he pursues the mission. And it is a very targeted pursuit and it is a very powerful pursuit. It is targeted because the Lord is the one who is in charge. Oftentimes we think, and Jonah thinks here, that he is in control of his destiny. He is in control of his actions, when really it is the Lord who has us in his grip. If we are his children, he will never let us go, no matter how hard we try and run away. Have you ever played this game with your young kids, where they try and run away, and it works better if they've got like one of these knit sweaters that they're wearing? And you grab the back of the sweater and they run with all their might and they're not going anywhere because you're holding them. And they actually think they're going to get away. But there's no chance of it, right? That's a picture of how God deals with us. We think we can escape God because we think it is in our interest because we desire to experience our desires and our sins and the Lord knows better and he refuses to let us go. It's as if Jonah has sent in a resignation letter to God. I hereby resign from this missionary post. And God takes out a big stamp that says, resignation, not accepted. Go back to work. You see, God is the one who's in control. Jonah had turned course, but God had gone after him. And we see this even in the storm. Do you see the interesting way it's described in verse 4? The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Now this word for hurled is often used of the way you throw a javelin. You see, God didn't just indiscriminately cause a storm over all of the Mediterranean. No. I think later that's why the sailors know that something is afoot because this storm comes and they have a target on their boat. It comes straight at them like an arrow with great force and violence, but it is very particular. God knows what He's doing. He has a precise way of dealing with us. The Lord knows exactly how to deal with each and every one of us. And it's different, isn't it? Some of us respond better to gentle prodding. Others of us need to be kind of hit with a two-by-four. The Lord knows this. He knows our personalities. And He deals specifically with each and every one of us. Because God is not just a God of people in general. God is the God of you and of me. And as a part of this, God is sure to visit His chastisement upon his children. Specifically here, Jonah. Jonah wants to get away, but God will not let him. God is going to wake Jonah up. And that waking up will be painful. But it's a part of being a child of God. You can't escape it. You shouldn't desire to. Hebrews tells us that we should understand that if we are chastened, it is because we are children. It is because the Lord loves us. It's like being a part of a family. I don't know all of the scientific studies that go in behind it, but I'm sure that many of you have heard the summary that says that the very worst thing for a child to deal with is not excessive love or even 
excessive hatred. It's apathy. It's the feeling that nobody cares. It doesn't really matter what happens to me. You don't register. That is debilitating. That shows that you're not even important enough to be disliked. But you see, that's not how God deals with us. That's not how God deals with his children. He comes alongside us and corrects us and chastises us when he knows that we need it for our own good. This is the way God deals with his people. But he also deals, we see here in the storm, not just in a targeted way, but in a powerful way. You see, this storm, this storm is thrown like a javelin at this boat, but oh, what a storm it is. It's a storm unlike any other storm, perhaps, that has been seen. How do I know this? Well, if you're a sailor, your job is to do what? To sail, right? Sounds simple. But what you do is you sail, and you sail on the ocean. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like being on a small boat in a calm bay. That will upset my stomach. If you're a sailor in ancient days, you've got to be used to tossing and turning. You've got to be used to rain and wind. You're used to storms, to tempests. You have drills and you know what to do. This is not a cruise ship. This is not a floating city. This is a small boat. And they're used to these kinds of things, except they're not used to this. Because these sailors, these experienced sailors, are afraid for their lives. You see what they, how they respond to this? The ship threatened to break up and the mariners were afraid so that they cried out each to their own God. You see, they believe that they are goners. And they sort of rouse all hands on deck. Anybody who has any God anywhere, please pray to them because we're done. They're so afraid they toss all the cargo over. Now, that does lighten the load of the boat, but you have to understand that is all of their value. They have investment in this cargo. That's their hope of profit, their hope of perhaps wealth or paying bills or caring for their family. And they know that this isn't worth anything right now because they're not going to survive. That's how powerful the storm is from the Lord. They tried everything they could, humanly speaking, to deal with this. But you see, the power of this storm is intentional. It is as intentional as the direction of this storm when it is healed because Jonah is trying as hard as he can to be oblivious to God. The book tells us that, doesn't it? Everyone else is afraid for their life, running around like crazy. And what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And he is so hard asleep, we get a picture of this from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, says that when the captain went down and saw him, he saw Jonah sleeping and snoring. Everyone else is afraid for their life and Jonah is sawing some logs. It's because Jonah is trying as hard as he can to be oblivious to God. He's not hearing the Lord. And this is a great contrast to that other great shipwreck we've talked about, the Apostle Paul, who is trying as hard as he can to be helpful to others. 
pointing them in the direction of the Lord. He's using the storm as an evangelistic opportunity. Not Jonah. Not Jonah, the great prophet of God, the great missionary of God. No, instead, Jonah is still all full of himself and his sin. But God will not have this. He gets everyone's attention. And he gets everyone's attention focused on Jonah. They have no choice. They cast the lots. They see that it's Jonah. And Jonah then begins to own up. At least partly. I don't think he has completely come to terms here with his mission. But he knows enough that he begins to then tell his story. He tells these pagan sailors how he's running from God. The sailors know this, it says, because he told them. Why is all of this going on? Why is God working so hard to pursue Jonah? Why wouldn't God just find another of the dozens of other sons of the prophets to go to Nineveh? It's because the Lord pursues His people because His mission is necessary. It's a necessary mission for Nineveh. But it's also a necessary mission for Jonah. And then on the side, God picks up in the, in the great way of His grace in which He works, in which His grace overabounds. The mission that is meant for Nineveh and to recover Jonah winds up encompassing some sailors. Some other pagans are drawn into the orbit of God's grace and how the Lord uses even Jonah's sin for His own glory in reaching these sailors. You see, this mission is necessary first and foremost for Jonah because we need to know and Jonah needs to know what it means to follow God's will. There is a lesson for us in this and that we are to respond to God's grace. If we don't, His grace will continue to pursue us. Some of you perhaps have read the famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. And how the grace of God pursued this person, the, the writer, over and over again. He ran here and he couldn't get away. He ran there. He ran up. He ran down and everywhere. The footsteps. The footsteps. You see, you cannot outrun the grace of God. The grace of God is greater than all of your sin, than all of your stupidity. It's true for Jonah. It's true for you. It's true for me. The grace of God continues to pursue us because God has a mission for His people. But also God will not give up on His greater purpose. God will not be thwarted in His mission to Nineveh simply because Jonah doesn't get it. God knows there's a mission that needs to be accomplished. We'll see that later on in the book. There is repentance that needs to be found, called for. There are a people that need to hear the testimony of the Lord. And God will not let Jonah and his own desires stand in the way of that. You see, because the mission here is God's mission, not Jonah's. The world needs the church. The world needs the hands and the feet that God uses to bring His mission in the world. And there is a great danger when the church, like Jonah, is asleep at the helm. 
You see, that is when real danger is found in the world. And even the world realizes that they're in trouble. Have you noticed this in your own life? As others know that you're a Christian, and they don't know the Lord, and they may make snide remarks, or they may laugh a little bit at your expense, but when someone in their family gets cancer, who do they come to ask for prayers? When great tragedy strikes our nation, where do we go? We go to the church. We go to the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is an opportunity here for Jonah to see the mission of the Lord in the midst of this world, both for himself and for Nineveh. The last thing that we see about this mission is that it is also a mission for the sailors. You see, they see the danger. They are presented with an opportunity to see the shortness of life and the vanity of their own way of life. You see, they are limited in their ability. They know that there is a God. They know that they should be praying to a God, but they don't know God. They need Jonah to tell them who God is, why He answers prayer, rather than just tossing up arrows in the dark. They know that they need to be praying, but they don't know how prayer is answered. And you see, this is an opportunity for Jonah, and it's the same kind of opportunity that is presented to us so often. There are others who speak in spiritual terms and know that they need some kind of non-material portion of their life. The Lord can use you to direct them in this fashion from His Word, to direct them to the Lord Jesus Christ, to direct them to the grace of the gospel of Jesus. This is a mission that God will undertake, pursue, and accomplish. The great blessing to us is that God is actually willing not only to use us, but to pursue us when we think we have better things to do. This is the God who knows what His will is. This is the God who knows what His glory is. This is the God who knows what our mission should be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this story of Jonah. We thank You that You have written it in Your Word, that we might know You and we might serve You, that we might... Be encouraged that even when we are lost in sin and running the wrong way, that, Lord, You pursue us in Your grace. Lord, we ask that You would pursue us today and this week. That You would keep us from temptation. Keep us from sin. Keep us from abandoning what we know to be true and right. That You would grant us opportunities to see Your mission go forward and to participate in it. We ask all of this in the name above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd stand for the Lord's blessing. And now, people of the Lord Jesus Christ, followers of the Lord God, 
May the grace of the Lord be with you now and forever. Amen.